Sullivani finalmente ce l'abbiamo fatta io sono Giorgio Sullivani e siamo all'interno della hall del principe di Savoia con uno delle più grandi star di Hollywood Johnny Marco hi Johnny how are you doing? hi hey. ciao benvenuto in Italia welcome to Italy thank you <laughs> so can I ask you some questions? sure you okay uh, what's the first time or um, what's the most beautiful thing you have done in Italy so far? Well, we just arrived in the hotels Ok, è appena arrivato in Italia ed è giusto giusto entrato in hotel quindi non ha fatto assolutamente nulla e ci sarà probabilmente tempo per fare tante cose nel nostro paese. Uh, do you speak some Italian words? Some few words. Uh, uh, buongiorno, buonasera. Hi everyone, time for another episode of a podcast directed by. I am your host Dave and I'm joined by Mike. The world's biggest Steven Dorff fan, right here. Yes. Well, is that really is that really impressive or is <laughs> Are there a lot of Steven Dorff fans in 2019? Is that Blade? Is that <laughs> his family, uh people he grew up with? I, I don't know. Sure. Maybe. Yes. Maybe. Yeah. All right. All right, so having said that, we are going to be doing our first double episode. We will be taking a look at two Sofia Coppola movies. And the first one, as Mike kind of referenced, starring Steven Dorff, is Somewhere. So, Mike, what was your what was your perspective kind of going in to Somewhere? Because this is not exactly Sofia Coppola's most well-known movie. Let's put it that way. A movie that, uh, before recently, I'm not sure I knew existed. So, what was your perspective coming in? Well, that, that will deeply upset a uh, mutual friend of ours, uh, Andrew of uh, The Curb, who... Because you know, I, I think he talked to me about it, and I totally forgot until you mentioned it. I was like, oh yeah, he does like that movie. Yeah, I think huh. he talked to me about it, too, and I told him to stop talking to me about it, and I mean, that didn't stop him. Um, this was the what, you know, as much shit or shade I'm throwing it towards uh, her friend Andrew, uh, this was the one I was most looking forward to rewatching because... I had seen this film, and like you, I was like, oh, yeah, that was the uh, – I, I even feel like if you look at her filmography, like if you go to like Wikipedia, like the more films that she comes out with, this may be one that gets bumped from like notable works, like they'll just like skip it over. Or yeah. assholes like us, if she gets to say 11 films, this might have been the very first one you thought of. Ah, just cut <laughs> that. Just move <laughs> along. Um, because it's um, The Cousin. The the uh, maybe uglier cousin of Lost in Translation. Um, nothing against Stephen Dorff, who's you know a handsome man, but the we'll lesser talk about known. the ugliness. Yeah, don't worry. Um, but it was because of that. I, I had seen it before. I think I rented it maybe in the Netflix DVD days. I I don't know. Uh, and you know what? I did again because I don't think it's streaming anywhere. So I think I signed back up for your stupid <laughs> podcast you talked me into. <laughs> Uh, especially when we get into some of the classic filmmakers. Uh, and I got the uh, Blu-ray edition of Somewhere uh, and saddled up again. <laughs> so, I mean, is that a weird thing to say? I was looking forward to watching the one that um, I seem to have no memories of and really little interest in. But I get, it was sort of still a blank slate, even though I'd seen well, it Well, yeah, before. it kind of still feels like a first-time watch. Right, then. yeah. You know, you could look at that positively or negatively, right? It could be like, well, this movie left no impression, <laughs> uh, so that should be fun. <laughs> or it could be like, hey, I've seen all these movies, and this is the one that didn't stick with me, and let's try to figure out why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for me, I it's the one of her movies that I had not seen. <laughs> How can I say this nicely? Um, I don't know that I was looking forward to it, because Andrew and I tend to disagree a lot 
on movies. You're saying he has uh, terrible taste. It's not what I said. It's what it meant. Uh, it's not what the, I said. The curb dot au terrible the taste. The curb au. Yes. Um, I think about fifteen to twenty percent of the time we we agree, and the rest is like, what are we even? What are we talking about here? What's going high. on? <laughs> yeah, it does. But you know, in kind of looking the movie up, I think the things that I was interested in is obviously Sofia Coppola as a director. I've at least liked most of her movies, but I also do actually really like Steven Dorff as an actor. Um, I think he's, I'm not sure what went wrong with his career as far as Hollywood is concerned. Well, he doesn't get cast. This is not a shot at him. It's just kind of like, I remember seeing him in, you know, granted, maybe not the greatest movie ever made, but like seeing him as a villain in Blade, I was like, this this guy's pretty good. I like him. I want to see him in more things. And he just kind of went to the wayside. Um, (laughs) Dave, you're that, that is a backhanded compliment. That you're like he uh, piqued my interest in Blade, and it was and all then he disappeared. From there. He's got 92 credits. He's a working actor. Uh, um, well, like, good for him, uh, but Jesus. not a lot of not a lot of big stuff. I uh, recently also, uh, watched him in uh, Backbeat, the Beatles movie. I uh, oh, is that good? I, I well, mm, <laughs> your hesitation is saying everything. <laughs> He's good. Uh, you know, we talked about Marie Antoinette in the last episode. Uh, I know a little bit more about the Beatles than I do, uh, you know, French politics centuries Strange. ago. Um, and I think I couldn't remove myself from that. But he's good in it. So just okay. keeping it to uh, the dwarf mythology. Okay. The dwarf mythology. <laughs> uh, but also Elle Fanning, uh, who I really like as an actress. Even when she's in movies that are kind of subpar, I think she's still gives really good performances like so, somewhere right we'll get to that Mike. <laughs> we will get to that we're just talking about leading up um so it's kind of you know i thought it was going to be interesting after watching Marie Antoinette, which we talked about in our last episode how big it was and this just from kind of a couple screenshots i've seen and the cast list i'm like this is not going to be that like this is going to be much more muted um so it's going to be interesting to see how i reacted to that it would be like you know seeing Moulin Rouge and then watching, you know, a, you know, some drawing room drama on BBC, like, Oh my God, what is going on here? Like, this is an adjustment. Uh, the especially hotel's because, not fancy enough for you. I mean, right. it's still especially because, especially because when we're watching these so quickly, we're not necessarily like, you know, be one thing like, Oh, I saw this movie three or four years ago and now I see her next movie. Well, you know, but if you watch these like three or four days apart, you're like, Oh, there's a little bit of let, whiplash let's, that let's, goes on. You know, peek behind the curtain here. Dave watches these fucking things a lot faster than me. It's like you you check him on social media. He's on to his fourth Coppola. He's mainlining her and her filmography like in a day. And then he's on to the next director. Like I should have known before we even recorded these. And you're like, hey, have you got any ideas for like month number two? And I'm like, "Eh, here's a few ideas. We settle on it. Dave's already through. He's already done. Soon as soon as there's a schedule, I am on it. A kid in the class <laughs> as, asking for homework, you know, and then I'm still trying to like do my assignment from like a month ago. Hey, I'm a graduate student. What do you expect, man? Anything to avoid the work that I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> I will take you know, advantage of. So. Yeah, you know, Miss Coppola probably appreciates you as a consumer, but she's also like, hey, I, you know, I, I like to think about these things I'm making, you know, once every few <laughs> years. Slow down a little bit. Um, exactly. Somewhere. Okay. So. Yeah. So. Uh, one of the things I want to bring up is like, as I, as I was watching this, I sent you a text and I said, like, I know this is kind of the point, but man, this movie is pretty ugly. Like, it's like, in terms of color scheme, in terms of like the actual quality of the film, I think she's doing this on purpose because it is about this guy 
who is kind of adrift in his life. Like looking at it from the outside, you might think like this guy is the perfect life, right? Like he's, you know, he's a movie star. He's got a lot of money. He can do whatever he wants, blah, blah, blah. But then you kind of take a peek in and you're like, this man is very, very sad. Like, and you, and I think it's a smart decision to make, to kind of ugly the film up. Uh, because otherwise you're looking at this just like we talked about trying to make you connect with these characters with Marie Antoinette. Same thing here is if you make his life glitzy and fun and isn't this amazing, then you're like, you're complaining? What is wrong with you? Your life is perfect. But because it's so kind of dour, especially in the first half of the movie, and like even these, like, you know, the movie, doesn't it open up with like him having two strippers in his room? <laughs> like that is like the opening scene of the that movie. That happens a couple times, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and even that, you're just kind of like, this is so sad. <laughs> like, this is it's just a boombox well, and a collapsible stripper pole. Like it's just like, oh, he's not. Man. He's not in any sort of state of undress as he's like laying on the bed as if he's just got the remote in his hand and he's he just, just like, look like he's enjoying he it. He looks like he's, he's just, just like uh, absentmindedly clicking through like, you know, sports highlights or something at the end of the day, like trying to find something to fall asleep to. And in one sequence he does, he does actually fall asleep. And that's where the movie hooked me. Cause I'm like, you know what? <laughs> I watched this, this thing, you know, almost uh, 10 years ago, whenever it came out and uh, I didn't get it. And now I do. I get it. I get, I understand this, this very rich man. Yeah. That's, that's one charge. Uh, for Miss Coppola's work, you know, focusing on the rich, uh, that she leaves a lot of room to, you know, <laughs> leave out general audiences as far right as right like, what you know, right? I mean, she's yeah, you know, yeah. she's um, Hollywood royalty. So. But yeah, probably the first time around, I'm like, well, okay, you got the you got the two strippers there. You can't even engage with like you know, this is like mate. It's like <laughs> this. I mean, it's terrible talking about you know human beings, fictional or not. But it's like he ordered a pizza and then came be bothered to like. Right. open the box to like even they even smell the pizza before he falls asleep on his like drunken ass like he's just right. he's just consuming things but not not actually consuming them he's i guess right. he's ordering them he's he's being a consumer without consuming anything i didn't understand it then because i was just like and it made me sort of actively angry at the movie <laughs> i can totally see this that. time around <laughs> you know middle-aged man i was just like i don't know I kind of do like sleep and like I could see <laughs> I, I, I buy into this. This guy is like a uh, Brad Pitt, you know, sort of junior, you know, uh, heartthrob on the screen. And he's he's probably fucked a lot. And, you know, he's seen a lot like you're going to have to really bring it and nothing against the strippers. They have. I love Coppola's sense of humor is um, not that far off from like, you know, three stooges type material. <laughs> like it's, it's extremely visual. And these these twin strippers and they're Can trying I, they're trying okay i was I mean, about to say amateur but i don't want to get into like you know amateur no. porn type talk i'm talking about you know uh they're in the not quite uh, in sync with one another like i can't even say developmentally because we're, we're talking about sex workers that just sounds wrong but you know you get what i mean you know they're they're rookies yeah. you know they're not quite yeah. veterans um it's just it's just funny it goes on for a little bit probably too, too long, long. but yeah. it's also like you know <laughs> you got to put mr dorf to sleep you know you got to rock the baby to sleep and so <laughs> <laughs> i understood it um i i'm gonna disagree with you on the ugliness i get what you're saying that wouldn't be the word i would use um maybe it's just like a uh, like comfort gone wrong you know he's staying mm. in very very nice hotel very famous uh i think benicio del toro you know drops in for a cameo just to, like but it's it gives that uh, to give you the air of like I've seen it all, I've been everywhere, I've done everything, 
So even when I'm in the nicest possible surroundings, she she goes the opposite way of Marie Antoinette, where she mm-hmm. doesn't try to heighten that sort of like first time appeal of something like, isn't this cool? Isn't my life cool? Because well, he's seen it, right? That's right. The difference between this and Which is also why it made me so fucking angry when I'm like, when I'm first watching this, where I'm like, "Look at your life! I want that!" <laughs> just you <laughs> know, amazing. Yeah, where, where's the Vanilla Sky moment where you know we have the uh, the wizard come <laughs> to Tom Cruise and say, "Look, no, actually, look at everyone. Everyone's looking back at you. This is your world, baby." No, no one says that. Stephen Dorff instead, uh, his kids dropped off, and you know me, Dave. I'm like, well, here comes the bus kill. The, the <laughs> no ultimate. <more> fun. <laughs> Little El Fanning, um, but I'm gonna, you know, I I'm I had a, a very nice surprise with this one. Maybe maybe there's just totally the age difference, uh, where I really got into this, and I got into it a lot more than I did Lost in Translation. I was far more sympathetic to these characters than I were the ones in Lost in Translation, and maybe it is the father daughter relationship. Maybe it's just like the stakes are just a little bit higher where it's like these two people can legitimately make an impact on each other because they're going to be in each other's lives this isn't the the two ships passing in the night with kind of kind of creepy above murray <laughs> is one of the creepy ships i don't know but no this time around i i don't know i was engaged the whole time and it's a movie that sort of challenges you to be engaged because it's they're very long takes of a man being bored yeah. you know it's interesting this this is a movie that surprised me while watching it because you know, when I when I sent you that message about how ugly it was, um, I was not <laughs> pleased with this movie. Like I was like I was like visibly turning on it. Like uh-huh. just like fuck this movie. Like there's nothing cool to look at. He's so bored with his perfect life. Like fuck this guy. Let me ask you a question. Um, not about the movie. Go ahead. Go ahead. Was I the first one to receive a text, or did uh, Andrew, the super fan? No, you were the there? only one. He didn't to receive, receive one. A text. Oh wow. No. Okay. No, nope. you weren't feeling particularly combative that night. Uh, he doesn't deserve my text after liking this movie so much no that's not true um so it the kind of the first half of this movie i was just like Sophia Coppola, what is happening what, what why do we go this route like because there is certainly in this movie a lot of similar themes to lost in translation and i kind of looked up reviews of this movie after seeing it and that was one of the big complaints was like we saw it and you did it better already it's like jeez you guys are you guys are rough i think she does explore this from a different perspective so I'm. I, it would be like well, Scorsese. You've done movies about crime before. How dare you? Like it's like you know, it's it's different. It's different enough. Yeah, I wonder how uh, they applied that to Casino with uh, Goodfellas. Um, yeah, exactly. So I'm watching the movie and I'm kind of like uh, getting a little like you know stir crazy. Like uh, I gotta look at my phone, find something else to do. <laughs> um, Just as Sophia Coppola intended it to be. Yeah, this isn't the but, bling ring, Dave. But I, but I, but I stuck with it. I stuck with it, and I did a total 180 on this movie. And it was the moment where um, where El Fanning like breaks down in the car, and I was like, oh, this this just got really real because. Yes, this man's life, you know, he's bored and everything is perfect, blah, blah, blah. But then you start to finally see, oh, but look, there's a real impact on that distance that you're feeling in this movie. Is This girl who is only in his life half the time desperately wants some some kind of connection. And he's so removed and so distant and so kind of almost dead to the world because of whatever he's going through that people are actually suffering. And you see, and in that moment, not only does the audience realize it, but so does he. And he has this oh shit moment of like, oh my God, I'm fucking up and I didn't even realize it. And then from that point on, 
I'm on board with this movie 100%. And it's very, this happens like maybe once every two or three years of the movie where like I'll be totally dead set against it and then something will happen and it'll just flip that switch and I'm like completely engaged. Um, so that was kind of a cool experience as I was watching it, like thinking like, oh, I'd heard this was her, this was, wasn't her best movie and now I know it's her worst and I was just so negative. And then something good happened and it's just, it can be one moment in a almost, you know, an hour and 40 minute film. And you're just like, okay, now I'm in. And from that moment on, I was totally in. And especially the way the film closes, I was really impressed with Stephen Dorff. That emotional kind of explosion for this character, because he doesn't emote much during the movie, where he just kind of drops down and just basically is telling the world, like, I'm a failure. I can't do this. And I was just, and for someone who has this quote unquote charmed life, to really say that and have an audience really believe that is impressive from from the perspective as his performance, the movie's writing, the movie's directing, because there's not a single cell of me that doubts that moment. Well, I, I find it unfortunate that you just you skipped over the uh, rousing sequence of Guitar Hero, where you do have the... Uh, that was really sweet! <laughs> it was a nice moment, I thought. Yeah. Uh, you have uh, the other guy is kind of weird. The other guy in the room. Okay, I, I mentioned in the previous episode the Jackass uh, <laughs> cast member, uh, Chris Pontius. That's Party Boy, as I was calling him. Um, the better career uh, compared to Tom Hardy, obviously. Obviously, uh, yes. <laughs> okay, so for me, the, the moment this time around, other than you know this this guy falling asleep to these uh, strippers that he's ordered, uh, can't be bothered to even give them the courtesy of. You know this routine they've worked hard on. They're 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 continuing to to develop it. Um, he's at this party, um, and this you can tell this guy this guy approaches him. That's uh, you know trying to be an actor is an actor, you know, but clearly not on his level. Is like trying to work up the courage to even like talk to him. And what connected with me this time was unlike you, where I'm just you know you're going for the you're going for the Oscar moments where you see you have people breaking down and emoting. <laughs> Uh, for me, I'm going the opposite way. It's it's this guy. It's like this is such a great look into our friendship. Actually, mm-hmm. this is yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got <laughs> a kid. He's, he's not the best <laughs> Who father. Gives a shit? Where's Party Boy? They try to reach <laughs> out, but yeah, Party Boy is the one that holds us all together. No, Party Boy. I don't think he's in this <laughs> sequence. Maybe he is. He's in the background. But this other guy, this guy that's trying to be an actor, is like, you know, do you have? He, he's basically just trying to talk to this dude. Like, you know, it's Give like he's advice not, for me. He like, doesn't. He obviously doesn't have anything to say. He's like, yeah, any advice. And he's coming at it with that, like, I know I have basically nothing to offer you, but isn't it just cool that I can, like, talk to you? Very successful Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, whatever stand-in Stephen Dorff is for those guys. Um, and what hooked me this time was that Dorff, he's like, he can't he can't explain himself or his position in the world at all. And you know mm-hmm. what? It, it takes a guy who is paid to just be in front of a camera and play other people and I, I mean, it, the film never shows us, thankfully, like what he's like on screen. So we don't really have I, d- I don't think we need a comparison to like if he's like really charming or engaged. I think it's great. I think it's better that we don't. Right. I think it, it forces you to fill that in, because for me, what what I kind of filled it in with is we've talked a lot like not on this show necessarily, but the idea that like movie stars don't really exist anymore. And there's a difference between a great actor and a great movie star. Like there's some movie stars that are terrible actors. But they have that magnetism that you're just like, I want to listen to him and I want to watch him or her. And that's what I filled in for this guy. So he's just got on screen. He's just got charisma to spare. But there's like there's not a lot of depth 
to his performances. I mean, uh, I, and, uh, I'm going to challenge the internet here, uh, and we'll you know we'll see. I'm going to try to torpedo this new project of ours, but uh, Keanu Reeves uh, is probably someone who's been accused of that. You know, I don't think mm-hmm. he's for the longest time. I don't think anyone's been like, man, what a great actor, or critically at least. But it's like people have come to accept it's like a, he is a movie star. There's some yep. sort of charm and there's some way he holds the screen that works. I, mm-hmm. I think a lot of the, uh, you know, the the anti Keanu stuff that you saw maybe more post Matrix. Maybe it was a little cooler then to like, you know, pick on him, like especially coming off of Bram Stoker's Dracula, like that, that sort of infamous performance. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think people just sort of like, oh, that's a guy who can't act, but he's like you know, pretty boy or whatever. And mm-hmm. <laughs> now it's interesting to see people now. I, I believe them. I actually take them at their word. They're being genuine. So we're coming to terms with like, there's something that we can't quite identify about people that we allow into our homes for so long that there right. is something that makes that person a movie star that you can't really quantify as yeah. you know, a particular talent. It's so, a good Coppola reference too, by the way. Thank you for bringing up uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Cause one day we'll get to that guy, the lesser Coppola. One day we'll yeah, get to him. Yeah, he's all right, I guess. <laughs> he's, he's pretty good. Actually, Dracula would be one. If we were making a list, I would definitely want to talk about that one. Oh, uh, definitely. So, you know, seeing this young guy try to approach him and have this guy being like, there's there's something incredibly depressing about how you can't even sort of define your own uh, narrative within within mm-hmm. your own world. You can't you can't really explain it. I know that's not really what they're getting at, but I feel like that's what Dorf's getting at. It's like, I... How would I explain who I am to a stranger, much less to my daughter? You know, that the, they were getting to like the heavy territory that you want to live in. And I'm like, yeah, let me just skirt past that. But that sequence, I was like, that was just handled with such grace. And it's like, you know, it doesn't hit you over the head. Like, you know, a director like saying like this guy is like so incredibly removed from the, everything else. Like, I actually feel like the stuff I didn't like about Lost in Translation, she signa- successfully navigates those waters in a more palatable way to me where I never – Something about Lost in Translation always in the back of my mind. I can go with those characters a little bit. Now I'm like, all right, shut up. Shut up. It's not that bad. Like, get on. Just too clever. Just like one step too clever. And it's it's fair in Lost in Translation because it's two strangers trying to kind of one up each other. They're kind of doing this little dance. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I like the character that doesn't even try. You know, (laughs) even when he's doing the uh, press tour, uh, you know, clearly (laughs) professionally, he's pissed off his coworker, this this woman that is his co-lead in this movie. And so that's really the only thing you know about him as far as how he carries himself is that for whatever reason, he's incredibly unlikable on a personal level, but he's incredibly successful. He's Keanu and as, as an actor, as a matinee Mm -hmm. idol. Yeah. No, I think those, those sequences where he's kind of, you know, accosted by the Italian media, (laughs) I think really, really endeared me to him. Uh, And it's not necessarily directly related to Steven Dorff's performance. It's more related to to the writing of those sequences because it's so in your face. You're just like, oh, okay, like, yeah, it is a charmed life in a lot of ways. But, like, I sure as hell would not want to deal with this nonsense. Like, people just yelling at me in, like, in two sentences of English and then speaking Italian and looking back at me like I'm supposed to say something. Like, it is obnoxious and it's just like – it's a lot. And you could just – and, you know – I denigrated his performance a little bit, but like you can see on his face, just this like, like it just feels like he's being shelled and just like, I don't like I've done this before and it's still obnoxious and I cannot deal with this right now. I'm trying to trying to relate to my kid. You know, I'm trying to figure out my own life and where I go next and I don't have time for this. But if I want to continue my charmed life, I have to deal with this. And you, and that really comes through of, of the fact that even though this is a great life, 
it can be a lot to deal with because I think our initial reaction to anybody rich and famous is like, stop complaining. You have a perfect life. You never have to worry about rent. You don't have to worry about food. Everything is great. Please shut your mouth. But in this circumstance, you're kind of like, okay, I kind of get it. Like, this is rough. <laughs> this is a lot to put in your face. on it. Like, you just got out of the car. You just walked in. You're like, I just want to go to my room and chill out for a little bit. And the media is like, uh-uh. You have, you know, you agreed to this, so we're going to do this right now in the lobby. To fall asleep to. By God. <laughs> hey, God, busy. let me get back to my stuff. life. Yeah, I mean, clearly there's a you know, reason why people like Keanu Reeves are so special because you're you're saying you, know, you wouldn't want to deal with it. And I would revel in having all of that power where so many people are like throwing questions at me that I get to deny the ones I don't want to answer and then embrace the ones that are asking the questions, you know, that make me feel good about being me. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> there's you know, there's there's a reason why certain people are rich and famous. Um, although I, I often, I, even at work today, I was, I was complaining. I, I don't remember who the person was that I was attacking some, you know, rich person. <laughs> I was just like, well, why do rich people never know how to be rich? Like, what, what is it about them that makes them, you know, wh- why are they going on Twitter and like, you know, fighting with nobodies on there? I would, I wouldn't even know there was such thing as Twitter unless I was an investor. You know, if I was rich, there'd be no reason for me, like Marie Antoinette, I'm not going down to the common people. Actually, even more so than her, I'm never going out there. I'm never looking at it. Mike would be like, what are common people? I don't even know what you're talking about. That sounds ugly. I don't want to see that. (laughs) There's got to be like a craving for, even though like going out and partying and going to bottle service is in no way normal. It's probably more normal than the rest of their life, right? Like you're still, you're going out public. And I wonder if there's like that craving for some kind of normality as a celebrity, especially as you get older as a celebrity, where it's like, okay, I feel like I've experienced everything that I'm going to or that I want to. So now what's next? Like anything can get old. Anything can get tedious or stale, no matter how much money you have. So maybe there's that kind of – and I think that's what – that's where I think the relationship between him and his daughter comes in. It's like one of the – it's one of the few things that's not under control. In his life. Like he can't just like, oh, I just do this next thing and I give this interview and everything will be fine. It's like, no, this is a real living, breathing human being who wants to connect with me and she's not doing it because she wants something from me. She's not doing it for a monetary reason or because like, you know, she's my agent. Like this is my child and we have to find a way to connect when his whole – everything else in his life is completely disconnected. Well, there's an element of uh, surprise and, you know, she's allowed – certain uh courtesies in his world uh i mean i guess one just being involved just being a participant in his world but um you know there's a sweet moment where he's he's uh he catches himself watching her skating when Mm. and i don't think it's what she's doing i think it's just he realizes that he actually is like watching her and with interest uh, you know, he, like a dad yeah he's on his uh, i believe blackberry at the time and he's just like it's almost like a huh like I'm like I'm watching my daughter and it's like, yeah, I can almost read like the, the thought bubble. It's like, I don't like fucking skating. That seemed to like be all over his face. <laughs> right, like, why am I watching right. this? Because uh, it's because it's my daughter. Um, yeah. She has Elle Fanning has a fantastic <laughs> sequence with a uh, woman that stays over uh, with him where she <laughs> is like reeks of judgment uh, of this, 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 uh, you know, lady friend of his. Uh, and I, I felt like that's also something that he realizes he needs. Not, not trying to say that it's like he can do what he wants. He's a grown man. And, uh, but 
just the fact that someone is in his world that can freely comment on it. Like you talked about this, not well, it's uh, amazing what you do when people are watching. Right? right. And how that changes. Like, instead of like, there's, there's a sequence before that, I think where like, you know, he ends up hooking up with the lady across, across the hallway, just like coming out of the shower and just, you know, cause he's a movie star. This, <laughs> this thing's happened, I guess. And then he walks out and his daughter is there and he has this like, Oh God. <laughs> and kind of realizing like, oh, maybe this, maybe I shouldn't be doing that. You know, and it's amazing how our maybe behavior it's not changes. fucking normal that when I I open my door, uh, like that I'm just invited in for sex. Like you know, yeah, it's like it's not every day for you, it Mike. Is, it's not. I mean, yeah, I guess even that would get old. Maybe I don't know. I don't think I'd live long enough for that to get old. For <laughs> no, probably not. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a funny moment that where I feel like Coppola is commenting on the like, yeah, yeah, rich people, their lives are great. But you have this girl that's just like, so wait, is your like shower not working? What were you doing there? Just like, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> um, just kind of like, as I said, she's you know very very visual with her comedy. Like that is that's not mm-hmm. that far removed from like you know something that would have happened on Seinfeld, where it's like you know one of the characters is caught coming out in a, you know a towel from next door, that sort of thing. And um, I, I find that to be interesting as far as her her sense of humor, because. Pretty much everything else about her is like incredibly like sort of classy and sort of like cool mm-hmm. feeling, but her sense of humor is kind of kind of goofy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was about to say kind of goofy and kind of low rent. I mean, as I said, she's got a member of Jackass in here just hanging out <laughs> playing video games. Uh, this one was this one was uh, I don't know, man. This one really shot up my ranks of the Coppola movie. It's like I you're you're probably gonna be very mad at me like when we get to the end of this and when I tell you what my <laughs> rankings the are. Masterpiece. That's... We'll get there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely a very interesting watch for me, not only because, you know, it was a movie that I hadn't seen before, whereas the rest of them I had already watched, but also just like the experience of it was I, – and I think it, it shows her effectiveness as a director. Like I don't think – you're supposed to watch the first half of this movie and be like, yeah, this guy rules. Like that's not, I don't think that's the point she's trying to get across. Like, so I think Except that guitar it, hero, you know, that's well, it. that's true. Uh, but I think that's, um, that's kind of a, in a lot of ways to me, this is a very gutsy movie for her to make. Of course, it's weird to call a movie, you know, made by Sofia Coppola gutsy because it's not as if she's like necessarily depending on the next paycheck for, for this movie. Like, Oh, I got to oh, be a success. Go. But episode four, but, we're going to attack the rich now. <laughs> but I think I've attacked her for being rich in every single episode at one point or another. But after making a movie uh, like Marie Antoinette uh, and having probably some, you know, high expectations after the last couple of movies to make a movie like this small in in its scope um, and to like purposefully make you feel kind of dour and uncomfortable for maybe 45 minutes of a movie is kind of risky. Um, so is, you know, I, as I'm kind of, you know, we're, we're now kind of jumping to like, you know, where you are with Coppola as a director now. And I think in watching these four movies, I respect her even more as an artist than I did beforehand. Um, just kind of seeing these in the, in the, in the order they came out and the choices that she's making are not choices that a lot of directors would make, you know, especially after like, you know, it's not like Marie Antoinette made a bunch of money. Like, I think I looked it up. I think it made like you know, you know, made 20% over its budget. Like, so it probably just broke even when you, you know, factor everything else in. Mm-hmm. So it would probably be tempting to make like kind of a populist movie after, after that. But she's like, Nope, <laughs> I'm going to trot over some ground I've done before, but do it from a different angle. Um, 
and cast, you know, not as if Stephen Dorff was unknown, but he's certainly not a box office draw. And Elle Fanning was not a box office draw at this point. I mean, she was very young and kind of just starting out in a lot of ways as, you know, as a young actor. So pretty gutsy, pretty brave decision as a filmmaker to make this type of movie. Um, but I was really, you know, after moving through it, you know, that first 45 minutes was rough. But after the end of the movie, I was like, no, I actually really like this movie. And I, if you had asked me an hour ago, I, you know, I was like, that eh, easily her worst movie. Yes, but, when you were <laughs> texting me with your snark. Yeah. Yes, but I, you know, I changed my tune. And that, you know, not every director can make a movie like that, where it can make you do a 180 uh, during a movie. Usually, like, you have a pretty consistent feel throughout. But she, you know, she managed that, and I'm very impressed. Yeah, if I had, uh, if I had seen Marie, Marie Antoinette uh, theatrically, I probably would have been even more pissed with somewhere right because i you know, everything i loved about marie antoinette about its uh its boldness and you know just this sort of go for broke attitude it, this in some ways does feel like a retreat if you're watching them in that order because mm-hmm. as i said the comparisons to lost in translation um i mean the pacing of it uh is you know if you liked marie antoinette you're Oof. for that <laughs> you know for that that style you're not gonna like somewhere uh you called it ugly um I think I, <laughs> I think I just said it's the look of boredom, which neither one yeah. is like very marketable, it's very dreary. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, but this one, uh, I I probably would have uh, considered back in my youth that okay, so she took her kind of critical spanking from Marie yeah. Antoinette, and she's like trying to find her footing again with something you know a smaller target, smaller bullseye. Uh, and God damn it, you know, she couldn't even hit that. Like, what's that? You know, what happened? <laughs> what happened here? Uh, and, and now like, you know, my reappraisal is that I, I do, I'm like, you, I consider it a bold choice to go from Marie Antoinette to this, like even when Soderbergh, you know, went s- smaller when he does his like iPhone movie, he like leans so heavily <laughs> into like genre. That's like, okay, well that's, that's like a horror movie or a thriller or he does like side effects, you know, that sort of thing. Um, this, I mean, it, it's not easily marketable like this, you know. Unless you're just wanting to call it Lost in Translation 1.5, and that's just like, that's a little too <laughs> right. cheeky, and I don't know if it's going to have the desired effect of like, oh, like you said, well-trodden ground. Um, but now now I I just see this sort of ultimate confidence, like where it's, it's like maybe mm-hmm. there is something left on the table uh, that she wanted to do that was a little bit more dramatic uh, than Lost in Translation. That is uh, a little more, I don't know, maybe it is more personal i mean she's definitely the child of hollywood royalty and at one point she was you know a young girl sort of you know probably trying to get her father's attention or you know she comes from a family of actors and um but i I don't think she leans into it in the way that i would have hated yeah i don't don't think Elle fanning other than that one moment is ever something where i'm just like the whole time saying like man her life must suck you know i mean she's right She's imposing on this poor man's ability to have sex with whoever he wants to. She's uh, <laughs> making him play guitar hero with party boy. Like, you know, that's that's where she is a the ultimate tag along. Um, but now that now the only problem with, I still have with it, Dave, is I didn't like the ending and I still don't. I really don't like the last shot of this. I don't. I mean, the best approach I can say, the best input, and I don't know if I'm reading it right and I'm probably not, is it seems to be that a little uh, slight spoiler for like young adult, which is a movie I really love. Uh, it seems to be the more positive bit of our lead buying into his bullshit in a way. Like he has, he has a moment where he calls 
he reaches out and it's just like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm nothing basically like I'm, I'm lost. And I, you know, I, I don't basically don't know how to process the feelings that I'm having about, uh, not being in control when <laughs> I have everything at my fingertips. Like I don't, basically don't know how this happened to me. Um, you know, the last shot is him driving sort of aimlessly in the desert and then stopping the car, getting out, walking. And then, uh, you know, the, the music cues up from uh, the band Phoenix uh, which I believe, I think Sofia Coppola is either married or like that is her like partner, the lead singer of Phoenix. Yep. Um, so it's clearly like kind of a personal touch, but it it, <laughs> it feels rousing and kind of awkward where everything you want from this guy is for him to like kind of stay connected to people that can that can know him like his daughter uh, that he can have genuine interactions with. And he's driving his really expensive car in the desert he leaves it behind the rock music plays and he's got like a kind of smirk on his face. I'm like, wait, what, what lesson have you learned here? I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm unsure no, about it. No, I actually totally agree with that. I think this movie jumps up a lot in my estimation. If you end the movie with a phone call. Yes. Uh, yeah, I agree. Cause it's funny because you know, you were saying, I really like the, the last shot notes in my head. I was like the phone call. That was great. That's like the best scene in the movie. And I was like, Oh yeah, I forgot that nonsense. <laughs> it's just like, it does feel like, I don't know. It feels like there's about three scenes missing mm-hmm. between the phone call and that, that drive and the smirk. Or it's just much uh, darker or it's, he's like, fuck people. I got yeah, a fancy exactly. car. I can do whatever like, I want. Leave it on the road. I'll buy them. another. <laughs> yeah. It's, it is a very strange end. And I just, I'd be interested to, to hear from Sofia Coppola, like what she was necessary, like what she was trying to get across in that moment. Uh, Cause it, Cause I just, I just, I honestly like blocked out that sequence and then you started to describe it and I was like, Oh yeah, that bullshit is in there. Ugh. Yeah. I don't like the ending either. That is not great. Um, especially because, and I think I, I probably forgive that last sequence in watching it. Cause I was so affected by the scene right before it, where I was just like, I felt like it got across. I mean that, that one scene just it encapsulates the whole movie. It tells you everything you need to know about what this man has learned and and how far he's come. And that last sequence really shows us like how much that has an effect is that he's realized how disconnected he is to everything. And like this one weekend or whatever it was like really had, had that impact. And it is really sad because I'm sure on the other end of that phone call, this woman is like, your life is perfect. Get No, get over yourself. I don't, I'm not interested. You know what, buddy, you're having one bad day. Right. Like, I got yeah. seven of them every week. Like you want me to <laughs> yeah, call you every time? Exactly. But I am glad that like, you know, cause we kind of talked about in our introductory episode that like, you know, one of the reasons that we started out with Sofia Coppola is cause like there's, you know, because of kind of this institutional sexism, there's not a lot of female directors that have a lot of movies that we can talk about. So I'm glad this, this hasn't at least so far turned into like, Oh yeah, she's a little bit overrated. This Sofia yeah, Coppola. What? <laughs> Historically, we've been right as a, as a country, you know. <laughs> yeah, so it's been interesting people. that, like, I've ended up actually enjoying her movies more on this rewatch than well, necessarily I did the first time through. When we get to, uh, you know, in the next few months, when Nancy Myers makes her arrival. Her illustrious debut. The queen of all cinema. I assure you, you probably will have some negative Nelly things to say, and that'll be fine. Because I, I will be hyper defensive every episode. I think that's a good place to stop with this part of the episode. And on our next part of the episode, we'll be talking about 
you're talking about a movie that is uh it's got its defenders but it's got some people who really really despise it uh so we'll get into that we'll talk about the bling ring uh so mike anything any last words to add before we before we close out here are you looking forward to to the bling ring no i am not um <laughs> I was about before you put me in a you know a negative position there. Uh, I was I was going to end on a more positive note. Coming okay, on, go okay, ahead. Take, I don't, I don't take think, us out positive. I don't think we'll get into this in our wrap up uh, too much, but coming off of Marie Antoinette and somewhere, you know, I mentioned the the Phoenix sort of music cue there to end it, which we didn't like that sequence, but I like that song. Uh, best uh, song or band use between these these two films there's definitely a particular song in Marie Antoinette uh that I that I really liked it's very it's very on the nose so you'll probably hate uh my choice uh but the uh I want candy uh sequence uh, in Marie Antoinette mine's is definitely very on the my nose favorite too but uh I uh, I'm gonna go with uh, it's on the nose as far as title but one of my favorites probably top five all-time songs Marie Antoinette uses uh New Order's Age of Consent which That's I really a great like. track. Yeah, got a great, great bass line. Uh, mm-hmm. I would actually hate to be the bass player because it's uh, just the same shit for about <laughs> six minutes. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break and then come back with Mike's favorite movie, The Bling Ring. they were doing i thought they were my friends it all comes back to like bad choices who you have is your friend so we continue uh with our look at sofia coppola's films we're getting closer to to her most recent film we're up to 2013 now uh so this is the bling ring um, so before we get into everything that the bling ring entails, what is your history with this movie, Mike? Like, how are you, how are you coming into this latest watch of, of the bling ring? So this came out, uh, summer 2013. Mm-hmm. And so that was not even, not even a year in with the, uh, movie pass. Cause I think I got that like fall 2012. So Anywhere from that to so you saw everything 2012 <laughs> to what when when did it go downhill before its rebirth when they said whenever they threw me over and said I, I was going to be charged like a hundred dollars a month got to be like 2016 17 so it was a good run it was a good run where I saw yeah. everything that came my way and so Bling Ring uh, was I think kind of a surprising one because I I thought it was something that you know would get expanded out maybe would come here because it's <laughs> I don't think that its particular subject matter uh, <laughs> is of interest to the heartland or Kentucky in this case. Um, yeah, very. <laughs> I, I guess some characters here are rich, um, and they're doing their version of Robin Hood, where Robin Hood <laughs> just bragged about all the cool stuff he had, and sometimes invited <laughs> his friend over to his house to look at his it cool rules. stuff. Never gave him anything, <laughs> but just you can look at it. You can look at me wearing it or take selfies with me. But I, I watched it, and I was I was excited about it because I felt at the time like, oh, that's the perfect subject matter for Sofia Coppola. 
mm-hmm. and then I didn't have a strong reaction to it. I didn't dislike it. Mm. I like enjoyed it when I watched it, but I was like, maybe that was too perfect because <laughs> it didn't surprise me in any way. <laughs> um, sure. But this one, this one, I had the biggest um, negative reaction to upon rewatch. And uh, so this okay. is we're going to bounce off of somewhere, which is all positive, And it's going to be very negative for me yes. on this one. <laughs> so for me, this is a movie I didn't see in theaters. Like, I, I think I was affected by the negative word of mouth. Everything I heard about this was pretty even the positive reviews of it were like not that positive. Like, it's just like uh, this might be good, but I don't know if you want to watch it kind of reaction so i kind of stayed away from it and then saw it um on like i think i had it on like netflix disc or something like that when it first came out on video and i kind of fell in love with it like oh, it, it no. was very hard oh no i know i know and it was and it's very hard to describe exactly why like it's not a movie that is necessarily a good time and there's not a lot of like quotable lines there's maybe one or two uh but i do think uh, expectation had a lot to do with my overwhelmingly positive reaction to this uh, because everyone is like, oh, it's a pile of shit and it's, there's, it has nothing to say and it's not funny and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't know, I kind of like it. This is kind of fun. Like, I kind of enjoy uh, her taking some pot shots at, uh, at at the rich person's world and how we look at things how we look at like just gathering stuff and living up to expectations and all that kind of stuff so i really enjoyed it but i also felt like it was really dark and i after i first saw it i was like well i don't know i really like that and i but i don't know if i'll ever watch it again and this is the first time i've rewatched it since then uh because like i gave myself homework that's the only reason i ended up watching it again i don't know that i ever would have come back to this because it's not one you just put on you're like ah let's Let's watch a let's watch a good time here. This is this is a fun movie to put on in the background. Like it does, it does take some work, I think, to kind of get through. I think I attempted to rewatch this uh, when I was going to the gym, and I had it like you know just throw movies on an iPad and just have it like. But it, mm-hmm. it can't it can only be certain movies. And I'm like I haven't rewatched Bling Ring. And I think I made it about twenty minutes, and it felt very much like watching like a YouTube personality you know it's it's a bunch of mm-hmm. incredibly vapid assholes who <laughs> i think the best thing you can say about them and their aspirations the you know both the characters and presumably the real people uh that this is based on is that they could one day be in a sofia coppola movie uh they probably wouldn't yeah. even know yeah. necessarily who sofia coppola was because these are incredibly young and dumb characters that are mm-hmm. they're their world of fame is very specific. You know, we did <laughs> we did a recording hyping up this very podcast where you informed me that the like uh, top musician of this year is <laughs> Billie Eilish, and I'm like, really? Who? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it. I love talking about movies like this with you because I haven't disagreed with a single thing you've said, but I like those things about. Oh, okay. Like I, I think I think all those. All those negatives you brought up, um, I think Sofia Coppola would be really happy with that because I think that's exactly what she's aiming for. I don't think she'd be very happy think, with this podcast. <laughs> these these two not. men are talking about me for a month. I don't want to listen to that. <laughs> but I think those uh, those negatives that you bring up, I think it's exactly what she's going for. And it doesn't mean it's necessarily going to work for you just because you get that message from it. But yeah, I think these um, these characters would be YouTube personalities. Absolutely. They have 
nothing to say about anything important and nothing but time and breath to say it in. Absolutely. As as like I don't long, think you gotta get those ad rolls in. You know, they... <laughs> oh, for sure. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So I think that's the thing that's really, that's really interesting to me about this movie is that if you told me a director is going to make a movie about characters that are wholly unlikable, and let's just get that out of the way, there's not a single likable character in this movie. Weirdly, the most likable character in the movie is probably the the guy in the movie. Like he does seem a little bit adrift and you can see why he's doing the f- what he's doing, but he's still yeah. not like at least the film version has the, uh, you know, the new kid in school and it's like, he's just trying to fit in. Right. That's, I don't think he expresses that too much. And you know what? <laughs> like a lot of things in the film, like their crimes, it still comes incredibly easy for him. Like, it's like the first like sort of attractive girl <laughs> yes. he meets like, Hey, hang out with me, come to the beach. It's like, okay, I guess this is what, this is my life now. Yeah. Uh, not that bad. Seems pretty it's, okay. It's incredibly <laughs> difficult to, make a film about these type of people committing these type of crimes because the, you know, the heist element of the movie is not interesting in the slightest. It's like, no, because they just walk in the front oh, door. Paris Hilton's out of town. Where does she live? Look that up. Okay. Let's just walk in. You know, there's either a key or it's unlocked. There's no alarm system apparently, or one that's turned on. Uh, and they just hang out. And crazy. Yep. do you think that part of my problem with it, and maybe, you know, I can, you know, this great nation, if I can call it that, that we live in that, um, it's like the audience is aimed so specifically that even when this came out, it was like it came, it couldn't have been aimed at the young people of 2013 either because the people that they're sort of fetishizing in a way have already like moved out of the limelight, already gone, yeah. disappeared. Yeah, so it's so specific yeah. that it's hard I mean, to, it really is hard to like say that this is like a just a you know a general film about uh youth and like sort of fame culture. Because I don't think those kids, they would just see this as like an old person's movie, like already, like incredibly old. Right. <laughs> I mean, I think that speaks to how quickly fame moves, mm-hmm. especially now. Like I think 10, 15 years ago, fame was like, it was a little bit easier to get a handle on. Whereas now it's like, you know, just like the Billie Eilish thing. Like if you were to ask, you know, someone in their 30s or 40s or 50s, like who's this random star, this YouTube YouTuber, this actor, they'd be like, God, I've never even heard of them. Who is that? But they are making millions of dollars on YouTube a day, practically. So they are big stars. It's just the it's just like the the twenty four hour news cycle. Like you can get kind of wrapped up in like this is the latest thing that happened, and then like literally twenty five minutes later, no one's talking about it anymore because some other fucked up thing happened, and it moves so so quickly. Who, who do you but think I the think- cutoff is? Just off a little side tangent. And movies, what's the last movie star? When when was the cutoff where everyone in the country slash, you know, English-speaking territories where, you know, presumably their he or she's films will be played? Who was the last movie star that everyone knows? I mean, I mean, I think it's a it's a long time ago now, but I think the last kind of because I think when I think of movie star, I think someone who can get me to see it, see a movie, even if even if it's not in their wheelhouse. Right. So it makes me think of like Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman doing Kubrick. Mm. I think that is the last that's the era of the movie star, because I remember when that movie came out and everyone was like, I mean, basically the the real draw was like, we get to see Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. Fuck. Like that was that was the draw for that movie for the general public. But I think after that, Boy, how disappointed were they that they were going to talk about it? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. And spend the entire time almost apart <laughs> on the phone with each other. Yeah. Love Absolutely. that movie. Love that movie. I'll throw mine out there. Um, I would. I, I think my answer has usually been Will Smith. To me, it seems like the, hmm. the cutoff. But 
Uh, unlike Tom Cruise, he just. So you're talking like, uh, like what era Will Smith? Like, are we talking like Men in Black? See, I think he like still could be, but he, movie? you know, he became like a Papa Smith, trying to get his kids famous and established. And it's like he took like five years off from like doing any movies. Um, but that works. Uh, maybe except movies with his kids that were terrible. Uh, so in that vein, also, I would say like, like Angelina <laughs> Jolie also probably could have been a lot bigger. Well, that's another one. Yeah. So late yeah, 90s, I think, definitely. seems to be the cutoff during the century. Yeah, absolutely. But I think the the most interesting thing about this movie to me is it would have been, I think it's probably a worse movie if she does this, but it would have been easier to make a movie where you keep yourself distant from these horrible, horrible people. Like, and maybe have some in from the outside kind of looking at how hideous this is. But instead, Coppola chooses to just dive in. And, like, bring her camera next to these beautiful but hideous people <laughs> and really try to to get in next to them. Um, and I think the reason she does that is because despite the fact that these are terrible people, there is a fascination with that culture of fame and that culture of labels and fashion and everything else. And I think she's attempting to kind of point the finger at the audience too and be like, look what you're so excited about. Look at how terrible these people are. These things that you may say in public that like, no, no, I would never do anything like that. But I think there is a whole culture of people that given the opportunity would probably do something really similar. So she's kind of mocking her audience too, which is not always the best call if you want your movie to make money, but I kind of love that she did that. I mean, you can, you can speak to that as, you know, California boy, but I don't feel like she's mocking me. Like uh, in Kentucky, I'm like I'm not. It's a, it's a coastal. It's more of a coastal <laughs> thing, maybe. I, I'll say this. I'll go uh, slightly adjacent to that. That I think she's also mocking the people that sort of relish in these types of fools being put out there as like the court jester. Like, um, I mean, in this, you know, even before Bling Ring, but uh, what is that show? The Simple Life. Paris Hilton was on mm-hmm. i mean that was a, a a you know for like a two-year stretch there it was like a successful almost like fox sitcom of just point of camera it's hugely successful yeah paris hilton and watch her interact with like common folk and we're gonna laugh at like everyone we're gonna laugh at her for having to like get down in the mucky muck mm-hmm. and then we're gonna laugh at these people for dealing with <laughs> to them like an alien creature that has just dropped <laughs> in the heartland so bling ring at times kind of feels like that like I agree with what you're saying. You don't have, you don't have the one person like calling these, uh, these people out, like calling them idiots. Like there's a Natasha Leone, I think's her name. She was in the, mm-hmm. uh, what slums of Beverly Hills. I think in the late night, yep. she was in uh, American pie. And she she's basically that character. And in, in American pie, like she's like the adult in the room kind of, who's like <laughs> making fun of yep. like the central hook. And it's like, it's, she's there to cater to the people who maybe have aged out of, American Pie territory, and they're like trying to, they're trying to bring you into the room, saying like, yeah, we know these are stupid teenagers. One of them's gonna fuck a pie. All they're concerned about is having sex for the first time. But you were there too. And here's the one sort of like sassy, sarcastic, like funny one who's like above it all. Like notice that in that film, she never like she's never engaged with any of the activities. She's just always commenting on them. But you're right, you don't get that in Bling Ring. And I was like, God damn it. Yeah. Where's my Natasha Leone? Like, I, there's not a day that doesn't right. go by that I don't shout that out, and people don't <laughs> look at me funny. But I guess maybe our lead here, maybe the like, I only say that because he's the one that's always like, he's 
nervous and gets increasingly nervous about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I guess they wanted, I don't know if that's accurate or if it's like, you know, his version of the events, but I feel like maybe they heightened that for the film because they wanted someone to speak to like, wait, they're just going to stand in Paris Hilton's house. They're going to drink her alcohol. They're going to put on her shoes. They're just going to hang out. Anyone could walk in the room. And if you don't have that, right. I think more people check out the movie. If you don't have someone saying like, this is crazy what we're doing, but at least I guess at least yeah. he does that. But they, yeah. Yeah. And they do. But I do think they're doing the bare minimum there. Right. There's never a moment where he's like, guys, what we're doing is wrong. No. What he says is like, uh, guys, I don't want to get caught. Can we, can we go down? He's also like, always in the room. It's getting with them. dangerous. You know, he's there, it's like, if you really, if you really felt that concerned, you just, you bail. <laughs> You're like, you know what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> keep all the boots, keep the purses, whatever. I don't care. I'm out of here. And there's, uh, there's the yeah, one absolutely. sort of, if you want to call it blue collar guy, like the, that they bring in the criminal who just finds the jewelry. And as soon as he finds like the expensive oh, yes. shit, he's like, <laughs> we're done here. We're not hanging out in her bed. I appreciate him. I also love that some of the casting is kind of like, Oh, here we go. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to, go. I know where you're going. But, but, <laughs> do you? Yes. Let's see. But I, I think some of the casting is like so spot on that it almost feels like a joke. Like to have someone as pretty as Gavin Rossdale in this movie, the lead singer of Bush as this kind of like hard ass. You're like, do you feel like you're even with casting Gavin Rossdale, you are mocking the culture at large of fame and of popularity? Because yeah, remember not, Bush. It's not as if he's known as a as a great actor. Well, I was about like, to say in my youth, I don't think people that were listening to Bush thought this was the hardest of the hard <laughs> they were putting out there to the world. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, he's probably more well known for dating Gwen Stefani than anything else. Like that is his claim to fame. What? Well, they were probably married. I think they were married at one Give point. Give him that. Yeah. I think they had some so children. Let's, let's, there you go. It was a little more serious. Yeah. But you're still him insulting that. him. That's fine. Yes. <laughs> but I'm watching this as he's like kind of leering over at them and like catching them in the act of doing all this bad stuff and getting one over on them. I'm like, really? Gavin Rossdale? That's who you chose to be the, the heavy in your movie? And I think I think that's on purpose because I think there is – there is no heavy in this movie. There is no one who can stop them from doing what they're doing until they get way in over their head. And they, they make that choice. I don't, I don't think, I don't think anyone is stupid enough to think like we can do this forever and never, ever get caught. Like eventually it's, it's all going to come crashing down and they're going to rely on family connections and their youth to, to get away with this. And that's exactly what happens is they got famous enough to, you know, get locked in a jail cell with, you know, Lindsay Lohan and, you know, move on with their well, lives. After yeah. They got famous enough to have some degree of currency in this world that matters mm-hmm. quite a bit to them. I thought you were going to go, uh, and you didn't restraint. So I'll be the main one. I thought you were going to go, this is the perfect role for Emma Watson. Who's not a very good actress. It's true. That is true. That is something I was thinking while I was watching this. And I love her performance here. Like, I think it's, it's pretty phenomenal, actually, because I think there's a just like there's an you've talked about there's an art to playing stupid, right? The the Mark Wahlberg bit. Mm-hmm. There's also an act. There's also a talent to acting this vapid and this empty. Not everyone can do it, and that sounds like an insult, but it's really not because I think I think she's really good here, and it's a really enjoyable performance. It's really funny. It's really over the top. It's it's really, but it also feels. Like, if you've ever spent any time in areas like Beverly Hills, like, I'm like, yeah, that's not that far off. Like, it is satire. It is over the top. 
but not so over the top where it's unrealistic. People like this do really exist. I, I liked uh, Bira Farmiga's uh, daughter, I guess, the most here, which is that she's like mm-hmm. the, um, <laughs> the the strange Greek chorus, I guess, of like, yeah. uh, or a better, uh, not maybe not Greek chorus, but understudy. And it seems like she realized that's her role, is that she's always like the backup, even when she's like, participating in these crimes and i sort of like if you know any of these characters have an arc uh other than <laughs> going from uh asshole you never heard of to asshole you heard of for like uh like here's a funny new story and then forgot about them until coppola picked them up and dusted them off but she's you know in the film she doesn't get caught and it's like she's <laughs> she's such a backup to the emma watson character this, this girl that her family is basically adopts um that even when she commits these crimes, it's like she's not caught on camera and she's like not even of notice. It's like, yeah, there were some other nope. people, but that's the one. It's the best way to do it. <laughs> and it's maybe the only time she's like happy that she's like not being sort of like positioned as like any sort of pack leader. Um, that's also something that's kind of interesting about the movie that those dynamics don't seem to be in play here. Like, you you know, with, I think you and I both have probably seen enough crime movies where, you know, you get a, a group of people together who maybe aren't the, either the best at it or they just have never been involved in that world. And they fall into some sort of crazy thing. Like a simple plan is one of my favorite movies where it's these mm-hmm. normal folk and like money falls into their lap and it just, it eats them up. Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Like that's a very, you know, tropey thing. <laughs> with this generation it's just like there, there's no like manipulation that way like everything it is so surface level <laughs> that it's just like they go in they kind of bicker about like you know you don't look good in that outfit but there <laughs> that's like the extent of it like there's there's you look like you're 30 <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate insult <laughs> and it's because i guess what's depressing about it is it's not even what they're stealing that matters. It's just that they are able to get that close in their eyes to power. Like they're, they're not even like mm-hmm. I, have, I have multiple friends that um, they're, they're teachers, public school teachers. And you know, well I'll kind of give my buddy like hard time. Like, you know, like, man, we caused a lot of shit when we were in school. Like, are you basically like, you know, the, the, the bad kids who end up uh, being parents and then they have like a problem child and it's like you feel like, okay, that's karma. And I ask him, I'm yeah. like, are you getting that again? Because we used to give teachers hell and like just for out of boredom. And he's like, the most depressing thing, Mike, is they don't put in the effort to be smart asses, <laughs> to like even like engage with me in a level that's rebellious. They're just like want to quickly get back to – their screen and just be left alone. And I I think this, you know, I talked about this is, you know, possibly not timeless because it's so specific, but it is sort of on the cusp of that, that these criminals don't even care about, you know, throwing each other under the the bus because they don't feel like they did anything wrong. They're just like, Oh no, like I was at Paris Hilton's Mm -hmm. house. So by proximity, I'm famous and cool like her, right? Like that's how it works. Like right. it's not even considered that it's very difficult to make a movie with people that are this stupid because it's just hard to. Yeah. If if you can't engage with it, you're probably not going to see the bling ring. That's the problem. The, the target audience <laughs> for this probably just didn't yes. go see it. Yeah. And I think the other thing that's really interesting is this movie 
timing wise, it's very interesting because I think when this story happened, because it's based on this article that I think got published in Vanity Fair, it was before everyone was really worried about kind of their personal information and their privacy and like, you know, information leaks and all that. But by the time the movie came out, all that stuff had been in the news and we're all really concerned about it by by 2013. So like watching this movie, you're like, what do you they didn't have locks? They have alarms. These are million dollar homes, like hundreds of million dollars of property. So it's like it it almost comes off as this like this weird moment in time that was like oddly innocent where these rich people were just like, yeah, I'll publish where I'm going online and I won't I won't have anyone protecting my house. I won't I'll have some video cameras up, but I'll just leave the I'll leave the key under the map for you. Like, it's just like it's so strange to watch because this would never happen now. Look, there's no way this could ever repeat. Orlando Bloom um, is not from the States, so I'll, I'll give him a pass. Mm-hmm. But Lindsay Lohan, maybe she's, you know, she's in the business. She did, you know, television films. She she never, you know, on set watched little X-Files, never watched an episode called Home where <laughs> these people just walk right. in the house. That, uh, how old was I? Maybe I was just, maybe she's still just too young for it. But I think I was like... 11 or 12 when that aired. By the way, that's maybe the most terrifying episode of television ever made. I watched it. Um, Good. Let me, uh, Dave's about to make fun of me here because, uh, you know, my Kentucky upbringing, but uh, I would, (laughs) (laughs) I I was a big X-Files fan as a kid. I I discovered it season one. I wasn't late to the game and I was just like, man, I need to, I need to look at you. Well, I, I thought I need to appreciate this. While it's on, because it's not going to. And yeah, there's no way it's going to last. Oh, look, I was also the strange, you know, Kentucky kid that uh, made his parents get him a subscription to Entertainment Weekly, RIP to the weekly part of it. So at that point, yeah, Entertainment Monthly now. <laughs> so bad. So stupid. Um, so even at that point, I could see like I, I was I was big into box office in the early 90s, the rankings. And I was big into the TV ratings. And I would see like season one X-Files is like. 105 out of 107 of programs on television i was like well this stinks but i uh my parents got divorced when i was very young and so i'd you know alternate weekends and go to my dad's and for whatever reason they didn't get fox at the time like so the fox they got was like the only way you could get it was you could get like a west coast feed but couldn't get it so I had to stay up. It came on nine o'clock on Fridays. I would have to stay up till midnight to watch it. And I have is a vivid memory. Uh, my dad's house was um, it would be like Scream or like Hush. Do you see that movie? The Netflix. Mm-hmm. It would be where a house and it's just surrounded on three sides by woods. It's a good slasher movie. House. That's where. And uh, also they didn't have curtains. So it's just windows and it just goes around the house. It's like wraparound porch and you can just see out into nope. it. I would watch X-Files <laughs> at midnight in my living room. And I distinctly remember watching Home. And that was when I made the decision. I, doors will always be locked. I don't care where I live. I live in a small town, Kentucky. <laughs> right. And that's my long-winded point. I just really want to talk about Home. There should be like a bonus segment to this where you and I re-watch <laughs> that episode and attach this to this episode. Um, mainly just because I don't like Bling Ring that much. <laughs> <laughs> Let me avoid talking about this any way I can. But I'm really amped up and excited about home. Um, but yeah, I think I mean I think you are dead on in that there was something. Maybe it's the last breath of like celebrity being untouchable, and actually every, any publicity you got was good publicity. It was just marketing at the time before there was like a social media empire to kind of like 
do all that for you. So you had to get your face in front of a camera and it would be broadcast somewhere on cable. Um, but it's, it is, it's mind boggling to watch it. I'm just trying to watch it with my wife now. And we're just like, you just walk in, you just like nothing, no alarm, no motion sensor. That's like the Jesus craziest Christ. part. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's strange, but, uh, I guess if it was a fictional piece, there's no way this project gets off the ground. That's the other thing. If this wasn't based no on way. a true story, no. you could, you just couldn't do it. Couldn't pull it off. Yeah. It wouldn't, it wouldn't make any sense because it doesn't. <laughs> and I like even watching it and knowing and having read the Vanity Fair article, I'm like, no way this couldn't have happened. This is crazy to me. Even, even as someone like watching it in 2013, let alone in 2019, like it doesn't seem feasible. And I think, also, another one of my favorite bits in this movie is the complete lack of awareness of the parents, like just completely hands off. Or in the case of, I think, what is it? Leslie Bibb Man. who plays the mom. Leslie Mann. That's right. Yeah. Leslie Mann, where she's involved, but like, I think desperately wants to think the best of these kids. So like kind of allows herself to be snowed by her, even though there is no subtlety to... Emma Watson's performance, especially by the end, where she's just constantly telling her to shut the fuck up. This is my moment, which is maybe my favorite scene in the entire movie. Is just because if it was like one or two times, you'd be like, oh, like that's funny. But I think, like, no, Coppola's trying to make a point here where it's like, I'm going to continue to just ride you in this scene where like six or seven times I'm going to tell you to shut up. And she just doesn't get it until it like is hammered home that like, and you could see that look on her face where she's like, oh, this person is vile and hates me. And it finally dawns on her. And you should have noticed way before this, because she has never been kind to you in the entire run of the film. There's not a single moment of human decency from Emma Watson's character, but she so desperately wants to think that everyone in this community is nice <laughs> that she just lets her like walk all over her until the very end of the film. Yeah. I mean, it reeks of the, in this case, the parent, the mother uh, is doing a lot of work on herself. And so mm -hmm. she thinks in service of her children, she will like whatever mistakes she's made, or maybe she was like, you know, a, a, a lesser person in some way. Uh, she can cut that off by just moving them ahead of the line to like where she is now <laughs> as a middle-aged woman and yet doesn't read the room at all. Yeah. Um, it's like she's an interesting like flip version of the uh, the mom character from Mean Girls uh, who like kind of just wants to be wants to be young mm -hmm. uh, and is still completely unaware. Whereas this version, like you said, it's like, let's just fast forward to where I am in my life and I will treat you as an equal. Yes. And is equally unaware <laughs> and still, still can't seem like I would, I would pay money for a movie with those two characters as the main characters, the mom from Mean Girls and the mom Ooh. here and just watch them interact. Like, it would be phenomenal. As long as they're like, in, I might be the only one. Yeah. I mean, it, it would have to be a remake of that great <laughs> X-Files episode home <laughs> just to, to have them not lock their doors. And then that's the lesson we all learn. Um, it, it's, it's a tough it's a tough movie in the sense that I think if this was like an, uh, an anthology film and this was like, you know, a couple of segment like, uh, her father did for, I think New York stories with Scorsese and Woody mm -hmm. Allen and man, like, you know, <laughs> Coppola's is terrible. I don't know if you've ever seen New York stories. Like the only one that's it's not good. The only one that's good in my mind was Scorsese. The Nick Nolte is like the, the asshole, uh, like sort of painter past his time that, I mean, I, 
you know, Nick Nolte as a bombastic asshole. Perfect what what do you need? So, I mean, yeah. Um, but this right. feels kind of like it could have been, in my view, should have been like a piece mm-hmm. in an anthology film because I think you kind of get it quickly and the rest of it is just That's going true. through the motions. It's just, you know, it's one more house. It's one more party. Yeah. I th- I think it's one of those things that it it gets its po- it could get its point across in 20 minutes or in two hours. Either way, I don't think it suffers from the two hours. But if you're not into it and if it's not working for you, I could see this being like, man, this should have ended <laughs> like an hour ago. I am good. But if you are enjoying your time with it, like sickos like me, uh, then I don't think it suffers from the extended runtime. Like, yeah, you are kind of going over similar material uh, and similar thematic stuff. But like, man, it's just so entertaining to me. Like I and I'm having a hard time pinpointing exactly why. It was it was actually more enjoyable for me the second time through. The first oh, time through, as I okay. mentioned, I felt like I'll never watch this again. But I like I was like cackling through this. Like I was <laughs> I was enjoying myself for this this runtime because I knew who these characters were already. Whereas the first time through, you're just kind of shell shocked. Like who are these assholes? Like these people are the worst. Whereas if you know that going in, you're kind of like okay, I'm just going to enjoy their fall from grace and their complete lack of understanding of any lesson that they were supposed to learn. Yeah. I think I'll just take young adult. I don't know. Like uh, as much as I like, am the sure. sort of like champion of yeah, good double feature actually. But, I, I mean, this we'll cut adult. this down to be like a, tr- a trailer, you know, like a, <laughs> like a little three minute music video. And then we go to young adult. Like it's, it's a grindhouse type thing. Um, you know, as much as I'm the champion for like dumb people on screen, like this one, I guess, may have pushed my limit it, or it made me realize that uh, when I like seeing dumb on screen, there's still like some people of value. Like uh, I really like you know, the, the husband character in Loving is not like a smart man. Uh, doesn't mean he's not, you know, incredibly decent and compassionate. But I mean, they even play up that he doesn't fully sort of understand why the the actual events of his life you know another based on true stories happening to him and it's a it's a great performance as well mm-hmm. um or something as uh you know broad as just dumb and dumber where like those characters are stupid but there's also like a striking amount of hustle to them and effort like <laughs> you know like things don't just happen yeah. to them and there's there's also like there is an expectation that if they don't try things won't get better whereas here I, I can't tell what frame of reference these kids have. And I'm, I, I shouldn't cause yeah. I'm just not that age group, but it's just like, what, what exactly did you, did you think was going to happen here? Like that, <laughs> right? that sort of thing. It, the thing I kept thinking about while I was watching this again is I wonder, and granted some of it you can't help cause it's based on a true story. I don't know how much, you know, is just like their version of things and what really happened. But I actually wondered like this movie is very, very different if there's any kind of, I mean, there is punishment technically for these characters. At least one of them goes to jail, but you don't feel like they've truly been punished, right? That they've truly learned anything from their actions or that anything is going to change. And again, I think that's part of the point that Coppola is trying to put across is that they are above reproach in this society because of how focused we are on fame and money and style and everything else. But do you think you would enjoy this more if like, some of these kids like got their comeuppance if something bad actually happened to them because they they didn't learn their lessons. You know, maybe initially, <laughs> but I think now I, maybe I'm just jaded or I don't know if I'm less or more angry. You be the judge. You and the listeners. 
No, I, I think I just want them out of my life. Like I don't care. What <laughs> I just I, want you to go away. Whatever gets them away <laughs> fast enough. Like you know, if it, if they go to jail and they raise a ruckus and their parents are weeping and crying and they're saying it's travesty and they get on television or they go on, you know, Chelsea lately or whatever they would have done at that that time period <laughs> and become like a little side character, like a you know recurring story they check in on. I would be like, free them, free them, free them, so they <laughs> they don't have a microphone in front of them. Uh, but I mean, I don't like them. So it's like, yeah, sure, but only if they're quiet. Only if they, you know, take a <laughs> vow of silence. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I just, uh, I just, well, I'm glad. I truly don't, uh, I don't care. So the movie is probably more <laughs> impressive than what I'm getting, giving it credit for. That, you know, the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, that's fine, I guess. Uh, because, uh, man, I, I just don't think there's a lot to this story. And Sophia Coppola is a pretty good director at this point. This actually may, might be her most impressive work for me because I just think it is like mm. the thinnest of threads to have a 90 minute movie about for me. Yeah, I mean, that's about I mean, I'm glad we've we've come to the agreement that this is her best movie. I'm glad I'm glad that that's best work, we're not best movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, I mean, I kind of this is what I expected out of this episode is for a, a lot of disagreement because like like we've told each other this, but. Listeners may not know, many times I will be watching a movie and thinking, Mike is going to love this, or Mike is going to fucking hate this mm-hmm. movie so much. And I'm usually right, a pretty especially good when... Antenna for that. Pretty good, pretty, good, yeah. pretty good antenna for what you'll hate. Mm-hmm. Uh, like like Suspiria, like the most recent version yep, of Suspiria. Yep. I just knew. And this is another one, as I'm... Because I think, yeah, I think we probably knew each other when I first watched it. Um, and I probably had the thought then, like, Ooh, this is not for Mike. Uh, and I, and I felt like that again, like I was, as, as I was watching it, knowing we were going to talk about it, just be like, oh man, he's going to hate this. Uh, and I really enjoyed it. So where do you stand with Coppola now? Like, it's been kind of mm. a little bit of an upward trajectory as we've gone through, like even, you know, maybe certain movies didn't age that well, but still kind of respect the, the filmmaking going on. But this is, this has been your first one with, you've kind of had a, obvious negative reaction to so I, where do you stand now? i probably with this one would have the reaction that i would guess most people would feel coming off of somewhere where it's like okay <laughs> this is well-trodden ground this is a layup for you uh and maybe you know for people who also dislike bling ring it was like you know that combo right there of those two films uh running off of each other uh i got a lot more out of somewhere especially the second time around um but, you know, I was more positive when I initially saw it and thought like, oh, yeah, that was a layup. And this time I was just like, <laughs> it, like, not only is it a layup, but I felt like Sofia Coppola was being guarded by like a six year old. So I'm like, yes, of course, you made the basket. <laughs> Move on. Um, so, you know, both points, I think on first watch and now for this podcast, I would be like, OK, let's go. Let's throw a curve here and let's do something dramatically different. And I think I think mm-hmm. she does that with the next film. Yeah, so for me, it's interesting. She's she's kind of an enigma. A lot of directors, like a lot of my favorite directors, like I'll think about like their style, and I'll be like, okay, I could really, I could really pinpoint what a blank movie is, right? Where she just seems to do whatever she's passionate about at the moment, right? Like whatever kind of strikes her fancy, she's like, okay, that's my next thing. Um, other than being almost not a hundred percent, but most of the time, female-led stories, right? Other than that, there's it's hard to find the thorough line. There's a lot of wealth, right? 
And I think this continues that. But like, I kind of love that she's a little bit of a wild card. And it's really showing as I'm watching these movies back to back to back that like, you never really know what you're going to get with her. And I think that's not something that a lot of people give her credit for. I think, oh, another Sofia Coppola movie. It's about rich white people, whatever. But like all of these movies, except for maybe somewhere in Lost in Translation, are pretty drastically different as far as the kind of thematic ground they're going over. So, you know, whether you like the movies or not is, to me, not really the point. I think you have to respect her as a filmmaker, though, as someone who's willing to try different things. Well, unfortunately, I just looked up like her uh, next film. because I'm like, what is she doing? Uh, but that would be uh-huh. out of step with us, like, you know, trying to chart their path because we still have one more film to go. So I guess I'll save that that thought. Um, I'll say this, dear listener. I think Dave's wrong. <laughs> is, is that spoiler <laughs> okay, <free>? good. <laughs> yes, I think that counts. Um, so, but as you kind of hinted at, we have, you know, one more movie uh, coming up uh, on our Sofia Coppola watch. And that is... Her first remake, right? Um, so that's The Beguiled, although I think we'll talk about it more later, but I think she railed against calling it a remake, saying, well, this is just a, a different telling of, of the book. So, like, not to compare it to the Clint Eastwood. People really, like, get, like, their, like, backs up when they, like, remake or, like, reimagining or, like, and then what's, you know, it, it, it's the same title. It's the same story. So yeah. what, who cares? Yeah, just simmer down, will you? Yeah, um, so that will be the next movie on our list. We're going to check out The Beguiled. So make sure I'm sure that's available practically everywhere as far as streaming. So be sure to watch that one. And I think it's another one. It's only like an hour and hour and 40 she minutes. Gets to it. I appreciate so that. It's quick, it's quick yeah. watch. So check that out and join us as we wrap up our watch of Sophia Coppola. Yeah.